Father, we just come to you. We come to you to the ministry of your word by faith. For it is written, you are the word. For it's written in the book of Psalms 107 and verse 20. I sent forth my word and healed them of their diseases and rescued them from the grave. It's your word that heals. It's your word that saves. It is you who said, O Lord, come, let us reason together. Even if your sins are scarlet. I pray, Father, today, if anybody has come with condemnation, with the burden of sin upon their soul today, you would set them free. For it's your word that sets us free. Anyone who has come depressed, you are our consolation. Anyone who is deceased, you are the balm of Gilead. You are our everything. Speak to us. Give us a hope and a future. And that none by unbelief miss their appointed end in Christ. Now and in eternity. Let there be open ears and open heavens to hear and to receive. Speak, Father, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. I will refresh because it's a continuation of what we had heard uh, two weeks back. So we will have to go back there, refresh quite a bit of it, and then continue from there. We look from, remember from the book of Jeremiah. And we saw, if you remember, it was in the 13th year of the reign of King Josiah that Jeremiah, for in all probability, a young boy, probably a teenager or maybe younger than that, God spoke to him. And that is five years before Josiah himself ever heard the word of the Lord. Because the book of the law had been lost and it was found in the temple when they were collecting money. I hope Many of you, when you're looking for your money, find your Bibles. It would be an awesome miracle, which is being repeated. Okay? That's what happened. They were counting the money in the treasury. And the book of the law was found, sent to the king, read. The book of the law was read. There's an incredible effect on uh, Josiah. But five years before any of these things happened, you had a young boy hearing from God. A young man, a youth, hearing from God. And that's what we had looked at. So let's go back to and see God speaking to this young man. And because Jeremiah for us today, now, especially as we hear the word, is a type of every believer. So the word of the Lord comes in Jeremiah chapter 1. We read from 4 to 10. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Remember, that's how it all begins. Faith comes from hearing. Faith comes from Hearing. So the word of the Lord has come. If I don't preach, you will go just the way you came. Okay, but if more faith has to come, faith has to arise in your hearts. God has to speak through me. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. It's an incredible, I mean, 
to hear something like would scare the daylights out of you. <laughs> you are a young child. Okay, but it's also incredible consolation. God is calling a boy to do a man's job. Like a literally. I don't know whether that should be the title of the message. <laughs> okay. But God's address to Jeremiah are incredible and comforting, consoling and incredible encouragement to every child of God. Not even our parents can say that. That even before you were formed in your mother's womb, I knew you. Okay, it's an incredible thing God says. You know, because you know, the world is full of, right now, if you look at it, unlike any time, and all time in history, the world was full of illegitimate children. Either born illegitimately, or when they were conceived, the mother or the father said, I didn't want them. And now what can I do? So, so many ways, illegitimate children. But God says, you know what? I knew you. You were not an accident. I knew you. That incredible knowledge that God knew you, the relationship, an incredible approval. The approval of God. Now when God says, I know you, you came from my heart. And look at how the psalmist will say, I think David will say, in Psalm 139 and verse 13 to 16, even before, more beautifully. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. You know, you hear all these stories and the pro-life, the anti-abortion group will try to so show on the screen to discourage women from aborting their babies. And last, uh, this year in June, I think, in Times Square, they had this huge screen where they had this fetus showing on the screen its heart beating so that all those ladies who walk on those roads, now you look at it, that's the real thing. It is not a piece of tissue. It is not something uh, science tries to tell you. It is a real person. But how more beautiful it is when scripture says, you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. This morning I got a, I got a forward in Malayalam. So it was, sent by Brother Alan. And it's a priest um, speaking to his church. He said there was this lady who kept on calling him for come home, come home, come home. And he says, usually we don't go. But if they are insistent, then we realize they are very serious. No? So when he went, huge house, I think it's in Kerala, huge house, palatial house, everything. And then she said, please, uh, he said, why, should, why did you invite me to pray for my children? He said, how old are your children? He said, 15, 10, 5. Five, five years different. He said, come, please pray. And when he goes over there, the eldest one, 15 years, this is a big head, eyes, teeth, protein, uh, paralyzed, CPK'd like our Chandu and all on the bed. And he said, like in Malayalam, like he froze. Then he says, he's no trouble at all. He's a quiet kid. He doesn't give me any trouble at all. Okay. Then takes to the next one, 10. Again, another CP kid. He's, he's very naughty. And he creates a lot of trouble with eating. And he wants attention first. Okay. Then takes to the third one, five years old. And he says, another CP kid. And uh, 
Then she said, I'm a mother of four. And then he takes and says, that's my husband. He's also mentally gone. He said, he was the one who sustained me when the first two kids became like this. But when he saw the third kid also went like that, he lost his. And so I have to sedate him because he gets very violent with himself. And then she said, you know what? I am the most blessed mother on earth because unlike other mothers in the world, I know my children are not tainted by sin. Every other mother is crying, Lord, rescue my son from this, my daughter from this. But you know my, my prayer is God has given me the most beautiful three children in the world. Perspective. Even before you were formed in your mother's womb, somebody who knew you. Scripture says, you covered me in my mother's womb and I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. And then, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed and in your book they all were written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. That's the most incredible. God's scripture says, it's already written in my book, my last day from my beginning. Everything is written. Everything is written. Do you believe that? That is God has already written your life out. He's seen the end from the beginning and all you and I have to do is find it and follow it. In When you do your PhD, no, when you, have, you, you are given an examination, you are given seven days to write your exam. And you are given two questions usually. And they said, it's an open book exam. And you think seven days is enough to do, <laughs> to do that answer. But God says, this is an open book exam. In the volume of this book, it is written about me. Behold, O oh Lord, I have come to do your will. Do you see what God is saying? The incredible knowledge that he knows us. Even before you are formed in your mouth. So it doesn't matter where you came from. It's irrelevant. Your identity is fixed. In the new covenant, Paul will put it this way in Ephesians 2. For we are his workmanship. This is those who are born again. Not only when you are born, God knew you. Now when you are born again, you are recreated in Christ Jesus. For good works which God prepared beforehand that we should not do them, walk in them. Find it, walk in it. Identity means so much today. And you see that struggle in the church is something which I don't understand. Everything people do is basically to make their mark. You don't have to make a mark. You're already marked in Christ. Marked out in Christ. In Christ, there is no black or white, no fat or thin, no fair or dark, no male or female. But these are the issues. I wish I was born as a male boy. I would have had more freedom. God said, you mean I made a mistake with you? No male, no female, no black, no white. God has never made an accident about anybody. Your identity is absolutely secure in Christ Jesus. No male, no female. How can you say that? Of course, I can say that I am a male, but I am a bride of Christ. 
How is that possible, right? Look at this and be very sure about your identity in Christ. Do not, because a lot of things that people do and companies make money, weight loss, weight gain, fair and lovely, fair and handsome. Why are all these products being sold? Because people are not sure about their identity. All these are businesses that thrive on people who do not know who they are in Christ Jesus. So he says, I know you. That means you're not alone. God always knows you and he's always there. Not only that, you have purpose. If you go back to Jeremiah 1 and verse 4, you have purpose. And verse 5, you have purpose. I formed you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I... What does sanctify means? I set you apart. And I ordained you. Before ordination comes, a setting apart. And so many of God's wonderful children still do not know what they are called to do because they refuse to be set apart. To come out of the world. They refuse. So they go through life being formed by God but never finding purpose in life. Because if he created me and you, then he also defines our purpose. He knows my and your struggles, our temptations, our trials. See, these are all common to every man. But the difference for the child of God is he, she knows she is not alone. He is not alone. And there is purpose behind every trial. As Cyril prayed this morning. It's a testing of our faith. Why? Because there is purpose. So God says, I knew you. I set you apart. I know your address. I know your address. I know where you live. I've counted the number of your hairs on your head this morning. And not one will be lost. Doesn't matter. They may fall now. When resurrection takes place, you have a full head. It's just everything I have taken care of. It is taken. This is the assurance God gives his children. God says, I know you. I know your address. Go. Ananias, get up. Yes, Lord. Go to that street in Damascus. Which street? The street called straight. Go to that house. There is a man called Saul of Tarsus. He is praying. I know your address. I know who you are. I know everything about you. You don't surprise me by your righteousness or your sin. I know it. Both. You don't surprise me. I know you. I set you apart. If it is true of one child of God, it is true of every child of God. For God is not a respecter of persons. It means God has a specific purpose for Jeremiah and God has a specific purpose for everybody. He said that to Paul too. He is my chosen vessel. God setting you and me apart and you and I setting us apart are two different things, though they are intimately connected. God can spiritually set a person apart. Now the person has to set himself apart. God has spoken to Jeremiah. Now Jeremiah, what are you going to do about it? 
God has spoken to everybody this morning. You cannot stand before God any day and say, I did not know. God says, I told you, you are set apart. Set apart from where? From the world. And set apart for whom? For God. Set apart. Now, will you set yourself apart? Unless you set yourself apart, you will never God know God as your real father. You will know him. Him only as a baby knows his father. And not as a young man, spiritual young man knows his father. Because God says, come, separate from them, and I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters. Come out of them, O my people, out of Babylon. Unless separation doesn't take place, you will not know. Because God's love is not as you think, unconditional always. There are conditions set. You want to know me as a father? You will have to come apart. Otherwise, you will not. So God will say, come apart. And we have to make our choices, our steps from the word, learn from the word and choose to come apart. So on that faithful day, on the 13th year of King Josiah, Jeremiah, the young man, heard. And now he has to make a choice. On the road to Damascus, another young man called Saul heard. And now he has to choose what he'll he do. God says, for all those who are set apart, you will know your appointment. You will know what I have ordained you, appointed you for. God appoints us. Who appoints us? God appointed. See, our problem is our thinking is backward. Our thinking is? That's why most Christians you meet in daily life live such, live such empty lives. Because they think backwards. Lord, here are my plans. Here are my dreams. Here are my choices. Please answer and bless it. You're basically saying, God, you are created for me. I have appointed you. That's what most Christians in their daily prayer tell God. I have appointed you. Now bless my plans. Well, here God says to those who are separated, I have appointed you. You will fulfill my purpose. Not that I was created for God. Not that he exists to grant me my wishes, but I exist to fulfill his purpose. And much of the anger and the frustration and the bitterness that you find in people in later life is connected with this discovery. God did not exist to fulfill my dreams. I existed to fulfill God's purpose. You know, Naomi and all, very bitter in life. That's why the book of Ecclesiastes, finally Solomon's final word to young people, serve the Lord, your creator in the days of youth. Before those old days come and you're so miserable, time has passed you by and then you realize in your old age, oh, this was purpose. And now you don't have the strength, you don't have the joy, you don't have the anointing, you realize time has passed you by. Passed you by. And that's what you see, people miserable because... If you were created to fulfill God's purpose and you don't fulfill God's purpose, it doesn't matter how much you have made in your life. You will be miserable. This has so badly permitted into 21st century church that one could say the right words, quote scripture and be absolutely wrong in your heart because you're not fulfilling purpose. In Jeremiah 18 and verse 6, this is exactly what God says. 
Oh house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter? Says the Lord. Look as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Can I do what I please? Can I do what I please? Just like a clay is in a potter's hand. So are you in my hand. He says, I have called you. I have told you to be separated. In my mind, you are separated. Now he says, will you be separated? That's exactly what happened in Jesse's house. When prophet Samuel went. All of them looked separated. But only one was separated. Outwardly, everybody looked the same. But inwardly, there was only one young boy, the youngest one, who was truly separated, surrendered. So, he will be ordained and he will be appointed one day to lead Israel. But when he was appointed, and if you see the next 7, 8, 9, 10 years of his life, nobody ever believed his appointment was real. But time would prove that his ordination was real. You don't count the ordination of people, but the troubles and trials they are facing. And many of them face simply because they have been appointed. So we all have that freedom to choose. Freedom to choose. God never forces. What if I don't want to become what God wants me to become? God gives us a choice. He will never make Anybody into something which you don't want to become. If the potter gets a piece of clay that does not conform to the pattern, he just puts it away. Like I said, one of the reasons why so many people in church are miserable and empty is because they are not doing what they were created and appointed to do. They, everyone who are saved, was appointed for a purpose. The creator's purpose. You were created for a purpose. And verse 5 will say, what is that purpose? Yes. Jeremiah 1 and verse 5 or 6. Yeah. I have ordained you. What? As a prophet to the nations. Now don't uh, jump the gun and run with it and start prophesying to people. Okay? That's not what it means. In his case, yes. But in general case, it is not. In essence, it is true of every child of God. In terms of office, it's true of very few. So let me explain to you because a lot of young people listening. There is a professional call and there is a spiritual call. The spiritual call is the same. You shall be my prophet. You shall be my witness. Literally, you shall be my testimony. Professionally, you could be anything. And it can keep changing also. It does not matter. But spiritually, it remains the same. I am God's witness. I am God's testimony on earth. At home, Joseph was a responsible son. In Potiphar's house, he was the chief steward. Profession, career change. He went to prison. He was in charge of the prisoner's career change. And before the Pharaoh, he became governor of Egypt. Career kept on changing professionally, but spiritually at every place he was a witness. And he was a testimony of God. That never changed. 
Professionally, your career can change. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But spiritually, God says, remember, you are a prophet to the nations. So what does it mean when God uses terms like this and people run with it and says, yeah, Jeremiah is a prophet of the nations. I also have the gift of prophecy and I'm an appointed prophet. No. Understand scripture. There are very few who are called to be prophets. That's an office which God gives. Actually, Jesus gives. He gives you the office of prophet and don't run with it. Okay. Let's look at scripture. Turn to Revelation 19 and verses 9 to 10. He said to me, write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What is the spirit of prophecy? The core, the essence of prophecy, it is the testimony of Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is the core of prophecy, is the spirit of prophecy. So we are the children of God who hold the testimony of Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus said. When the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power and you shall be my witnesses wherever you go. To the ends of the earth. He says, what shall you be? You shall be my witnesses. You shall be my testimony. He did not say you shall go and witness about me. He says, you shall be my witness. Your testimony, your very life will be profiting. Because the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus Christ. Okay? Now don't make it so narrow and say that is all it is. No, you have to read. Because this term, this testimony of Jesus Christ is used four times in the book of Revelation. So let us look deeply what it means for us, the Jeremiah prophecy. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 2, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. So God is here, here John is saying, Jesus spoke to an angel, the angel brought the testimony to him and entire, putting it narrow, the entire book of Revelation is the testimony of Jesus Christ. Specifically, or the whole word of God is the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is the testimony of Jesus. That's why he asked them, when you were reading the scriptures, what were you looking for? What are you looking for? This is the testimony of Jesus Christ. And all the events that are happening, that's why yesterday, Wednesday, we said when all these things are happening and things are going Spiritually speaking, from bad to worse in this nation, especially for believers in the coming days, we are not upset because all the events prophesied by Jesus and in Daniel and in the book of Revelation are the testimony of Jesus Christ. History is his story. It's not about you and me. We become partakers of his story if you remain in him and walk in those works he prepared for us. We be- then our life becomes his testimony. When you come to Revelation verse 9, this is personified in John's life. He says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called the Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, if you don't have the word of God, there is no testimony. You have no testimony. 
If you don't have the word of God, you have no testimony. You heard yesterday Derek Prince, right? In the fasting and prayer. Like he was talking about it, right? He says in China, <laughs> one in the funny incident, what did the believers gather do? They hit the visiting preacher's luggage. Because they didn't want him to go. So that he would continue preaching. Six hours, eight hours, nine hours. Till late night. And then they are waking up at five in the morning. Why? They are hungry for the word. And in a church of hundred people, one man has a Bible. He is the pastor. Hungry for the word. And where there is no word, there is no testimony. There is no testimony. So he personalizes, he says, I am here. Why? Because the word and my testimony has become the testimony of Christ Jesus. Not only that, this becomes the testimony of the church in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and he went to make war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God. Now this is the practical applications of the word of God. And have the testimony of Christ. If you don't obey the word of God, you don't have a testimony. Testimony comes from the word and obeying the word. Okay. So be very careful how you read scripture. I have been appointed as a prophet to the nation. God says, yes, keep my word. You will be my testimony and your life is prophetic. The word of God and the testimony of Christ go together. And exactly that is what Jesus told his disciples in John 15 and verse 14. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. You are my friends. Friends, he says, are known by, they obey me. In Revelation 22, this is the final chapter of the book of Revelation, in verse 8 and 9. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. When I heard and I saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he said to me, see that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. Did you see Testimony coming up. This is what God was telling. Through Jeremiah, to Jeremiah and through Jeremiah to all of us. They keep the words of this book. They suffer and they have a testimony. And their testimony is the very testimony of Jesus Christ. Now go back to what John says in 1.9. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation. I'm a companion. He's telling the other rest of the church who are also going through suffering. Companion. Why? Because of the word and the testimony. That becomes the spirit of prophecy in our life. The testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Much of our problems people go through has got nothing to do with the word or the testimony of Jesus Christ. It's simply called because of sin. And we try to say we are suffering for Christ Jesus. Say God says no, repent, you will be out of it. Therefore, only in rare cases does God call people to an office of the prophet. But when you are called to, let us say, a full-time ministry, then your professional and spiritual calling become one. You know what your professional calling is? 
Your professional calling is how you make your living. Why do you work? To get a salary. <laughs> Simple. Is there anybody who works and doesn't want a salary? Please, sir, <laughs> show your hand. I will employ you. <laughs> <laughs> your professional calling is how you make your living. Your spiritual calling is how you make your life. It's different from a living. That's how you make your life now and eternity. But when these two become one, when you become a servant of God, what we call full-time, that's why Paul will say, those who preach the gospel will live off the gospel. Okay? It's one. But everybody is not called to that. Jeremiah struggled at the call because now his professional and spiritual calling was going to be one. And his excuse was that, I am a young man. I am a youth. The first thing God says is don't make excuses. Don't make excuses. We looked at all that Sunday. But verse 7. Three commands to become a testimony and one promise. First command is you don't choose where you go. I choose where you go. If he didn't choose for me where I am, Tell me, I would never be in Hyderabad. This is the last city in India I would live. You know, I came here to study. I didn't know. It was God's plan that I should, I mean, he had called me even before I was born in my mother's, formed in my mother's womb. Okay. But when I came to Hyderabad on June 6th, 1991, to do my entrance at Iflo, I saw this dry, dreary, rocky place. Iflu's main center is Hyderabad. And I wrote the entrance in Hyderabad and I was the only student who had put option Shillong and not Hyderabad. I didn't want to be in this place. Even today. You know why I changed my option? Because she cried. She said, my parents said, we know you. We know your link with the Northeast. You go there. You will marry there. You will settle there. You will never come back. You were born there. You grew up among them. Your heart is always there. You are not interested in South at all. But you don't choose. You don't choose. You don't choose. You will go. Yeah. If you go there. Yeah. The word 7. You shall go to all whom I send you. You don't choose your mission ground. You don't pick your city. Second, whatever I command you shall speak. Speak whatever I tell you. You don't pick your audience. You don't pick your message. Usually today, speakers pick message according to the audience. I had a forward last week from one of my friends I think it was some seminar that was taking place here, RZM. So I look at the resume and I said, he said, will you go? I said, no. I said, why? One, it is Marriott. Second, it is 1500. My church, it's free. Second, I said, if I go to Marriott, 99% of God's people who are genuine workers are already out of it. They will not go to Marriott. They cannot afford Marriott. I love Revizak. I love his ministry. I'm not talking about it. I'm talking about Structures we choose. 
Let me ask people who are in, how many of you can uh, afford 1500 rupees for a seminar? Only once in my life, because my wife forced me, because it was a friend, I went for a seminar like that was uncomfortable, like a fish out of water. Because I know, my savior was born in a manger so everybody could have access to him. The wise men went to the palace. When I or you create something for God, everybody should be. That's why for nine years we have held it free, given them enough money to go back and we have never ever had to lack. Why? Because nobody should be able to stand before God and say, you know there was a church in Hyderabad and they used to teach about your truth, but we could not afford it. You don't choose your crowd. You don't choose your message. You don't choose your message. And third, verse 8, you will not fear man. You will not fear. I don't want to get into fear at all. That is another message in itself. And one promise, I am with you to deliver you. I am with you to deliver you. I am with you. Incredible. Three commands and one promise. And verse 10 is a commissioning. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms. To root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build and to plant. What does God say? I have set you over. That means I am giving you power and authority. I'm giving you power and authority. For what? To dismantle the enemy's structures. The enemy has his structures over every nation, over this whole world. He has structures down from the street down to the capital. The demonic structure is there. He says, I have appointed you to uproot that structure and then build my kingdom up. That's what happens here. Every time we preach, we believe that's what happened. We are pulling down the structure of the enemy in your minds and in other minds and we are building up the kingdom of God. That's why you struggle with the word because there's a battle that is going on which is connected with kingdoms. Because we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities. What is a principality? In old medieval times, which was under a prince. You have the term duke, dukedom, prince, principality. Powers, rulers, these are spiritual kingdoms. So how do you apply this today? That is exactly that happens in the ministry of the word of God. And in your testimony of Jesus Christ, what are you doing? You're pulling down strongholds. You're dismantling the kingdom of the devil. And you're building up the kingdom of God. For that God says, I have set you over. And we look into the kingdom of God. And we look into the promises. And he says, really God says, behold I give you power over all the power of the enemy. You shall trample upon snakes and scorpions. And they shall by no means harm you. Behold the God of peace in a very short while shall bring Satan under your feet. Even the big one under your feet. I have given you. I have set you over. Not over people. Over spiritual principalities and powers. Go build, plant, root out and plant. Build and plant the kingdom of God. 
We are building the kingdom of God here. You will hear nothing else here. This message is the gospel of the gospel of the kingdom of God. Not to make how to make your two promotions in the world and three extra pay. No. That is not what is preached from the pulpit. What is preached from the pulpit is about the kingdom. And the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It's a matter of power. To the point that when you go under the anointing in your office, there should be relief for the people saying, whenever you come, the atmosphere changes because principalities are opening way for you because the anointing rests upon you. You have to believe. That's exactly why God has put you in so many places where we preachers can never ever go. And you need to believe, this is what we, this is the testimony of Jesus Christ in my life. When I go, my God has promised me in my word, every place where the sole of my foot treads is the kingdom of God. It is in my possession, not about people, about powers of darkness, they make way. They make way because in me is the prince of glory. Make way, make way. The prince of glory is coming in him. Make way. We cannot fight Christ. We cannot fight Christ. You have to believe. You have to believe. You have to believe. That's my purpose in life. Professionally, I will get a salary. But spiritually, this is what I am. The testimony of Jesus Christ on earth. I am a testimony. Build the kingdom of God. That's what exactly God said. Go make disciples of nations. But how does that power and authority come? Lord, I want power. I want this authority. How does it come? How do I walk in this power? How do I walk in this authority? Scripture says in verse 9, see. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. That's how it comes. Says, I put my word in your mouth. Eat my word. Eat my word. Let your entire thinking be shaped by the word of God. You cannot be divided. A divided person receives nothing from God. The unbeliever gets, the believer does not. Why does the unbeliever get? Because God says, my rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. The believer is divided. And scripture says in the book of James, the divided one gets nothing from God. Because you got the world on one side and you got the kingdom on the other side. God says, divided people get nothing. He says, meditate upon my word. Eat my word. He told that to Jeremiah. He told that to Joshua. Meditate upon my word day and night. In Jeremiah 15 and verse 16, we saw scripture says, your words were found, I ate them. And your word was to me a joy and a rejoicing of my heart. Is this the delight of your life? Delight in the Lord and he shall give you the desires of your heart. How do you delight in the Lord? How do you delight in the Lord? If you do not delight in his word. Because scripture says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Delight. He said, I ate them joyfully. I ate them joyfully. And the rejoicing of my heart. That is when the word of God becomes internalized. Your thinking. And then you know, you're walking in the will of God. And you are uprooting powers of darkness. That is also why all the servants of God in the Bible failed, faced so much trouble at the hands of men. 
Why? Because the enemy could not touch them, so they touched them through the hands of men. Because what they were doing, they were walking the kingdom. Now look at Revelation 1.9. What John says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and patience. No, tribulation and kingdom. They were kingdom people. They were kingdom people. They were manifesting the power and the authority of the kingdom over demonic forces. So they used men, incarcerated him, put him in a stony island and he's sitting over there but he's still reigning in life. Powers of darkness use the hands of men to lock all these people, kill them, cut their heads off, crucify them upside down, torture them, but they were victorious because the powers of darkness couldn't touch them. So they used the hands of men. That's what God is talking about. Suffering and the kingdom. Not suffering minus the kingdom. Suffering because of the kingdom. And Jesus is very, very clear about it. Because in the spiritual realm, what you are doing is when you are the testimony of Jesus Christ, you are enforcing the kingdom of God. In Matthew 11 and verse 12, this is how Jesus said, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. The kingdom of God suffers violence. Servants of God, people of God suffer violence. For 2,000 years they have been suffering violence. Not the hands of powers of darkness or the hands of men and women. They suffer violence. But they are also taking it by force. The kingdom of God always has been advancing. It has never retreated. It's advancing. From when? From the time of John. John was the first one who should stand up and said, repent, the kingdom of God is here. You know, war terms, repent in war terms means surrender. The kingdom is here. Surrender or die. There's no option given. Repent, the kingdom of God is here. And in these 2,000 years from the time of John, when the gospel has been preached, the gospel of the kingdom, I believe millions and millions of demons have been bound and cast down by servants of God. Of course, he has billions of them, but billions have been cast, bound and cast. Of course, in the last days, many more has been released according to scripture. But, The battle rages day and night. And God's servants face violence at the hands of men. It is war. Day in and day out, it never ceases. It will cease the day Jesus comes. That day it will cease. And the servant of God, the testimony of Christ, the witness of God, God's people, are equipped primarily with only one powerful weapon, which is the word of God. The Bible calls this the sword of the spirit. That's what he says. Jeremiah, you don't worry. You don't be afraid. I will deliver you. But how will you do this battle? I put my word in your mouth. I put my word in your mouth. Joshua, meditate upon my word day and night and do not let it depart from your mouth. Not heart, mouth. Do not let it from your mouth because it has to be spoken. The devil is not reading your thoughts. The devil is listening to your words. He can't read your thoughts. He is not God. He can put a thought in your head, but he cannot read your mind. He can look at your expressions and your circumstances and kind of almost 99.99% find out what you are thinking. But he cannot read your mind. But he can hear your words. And he hears your words. And God says, I have put my words in your mouth. 
my word, that's your weapon. My word in your mouth. Joshua, he said, do not depart to the left or turn to the left or to the right. Meditate upon my word day and night. Do not let it depart from your mouth. And you will be successful. The book of Joshua in physical terms is a new covenant book for us how to fight our battles spiritually. You don't buckle under the enemy. You don't even show fear like I was telling last two days. Fear is the enemy's greatest weapon. And through the fear of death, he has held mankind captive. He he intimidates. He makes you afraid. And by fear, he captivates people. If you are unmarried, you are afraid whether you will get married. When you are married, you are afraid whether he or she will leave. And when you don't have children, you are afraid whether you will have a child. When you have a child, you are afraid whether it will grow up properly. If you don't have a job, you are afraid whether you will have a job. When you have a job, you are afraid whether you can hold it. Look at what people talk. It's all based on fear. Based on fear. And God says, you should be fearless. You should be fearless because he intimidates. And that's the first thing he tells him. I have put my word in your mouth and do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And when it comes out of your mouth, he says, it will uproot nations. And at Jesus' second coming, when Jesus actually comes, it's an incredible picture of Jesus coming the second time in the book of Revelation. Now I saw heaven opened. One day this will really happen. This is a picture, okay? This is really happen one day. And behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. In righteousness he judges and makes what? Not peace, war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. And then he was clothed with a robe dipped in the blood and his name is called the word of God. What is his name? Word of God. And then, and the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. This is, I believe, the overcoming saints. Okay? They are coming. Why? Because they learned to fight when they were here. They are warriors. The warriors are following him. And then, now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. That is his word that is going out. And with that, he will strike the nations and judge the nations. What he told Jeremiah, what he told Joshua, what he told every child is exactly what he will also do when he comes to judge. Out of his mouth will go his word like a sword. And what will happen? And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's an event in the recent future. Recent future. Okay. Very close. If your spiritual ears are open, you can hear the hoof beats of the horsemen. The word of God, remember, is quick and powerful. Which verse is that? Four and verse? Well, Magriyat. You are the pastor. Let me ask the children. Four and verse? Twelve. The word of God is quick and powerful. Why? Because it is the word of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What does it say in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 4? It says, where the word of a king is, there is power. 
And we have the word of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he says, that's what you carry with you. This is what I want you to meditate so that you look at life completely differently. And when you see and when you go through situations, you are able to react according to the word of God. And not according to what the world is trying to impress upon your mind. That's what happens. You start to think in a particular way, the way God thinks. And you have power to uproot the nations, the enemy nations, these strongholds, and build, plant the kingdom of God. But let me tell you, power and authority without vision is a waste. Let me ask you, like we have little Ira sitting over there at the back. We have little uh, Cyrus Noah over there. You bring one of those babies and give it a 2,000 rupee note. What will it do? It's actually power to do a lot of things. It's a total waste. Show me a balloon. 2,000 is gone. Go after the balloon. Power and authority is pointless unless you have a purpose. Unless you have a vision. It's a total waste. Now let's go to Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? What do you see? What do you see? God also uses visual aids. Abraham is sitting at that tent and you've been worrying a lot. Come here. Look up. What do you see? What do you see? Jeremiah, what do you see? Why is God asking that question? I want to check you out. Because if you have eaten my word, your vision will change. Tell me what do you see? That's why I listen to people and I realize nothing has changed. You're still talking the same junk which the enemy fed you. You're still seeing your problems the same way. Why? Because you haven't eaten his. It is not digested yet. Or you say one thing to me because I'm pastor and then you say something else to my wife. So both sides are there. Which should I believe? Hear me, great is the Lord, there poor me. It's exactly what God is asking me. I put my words, you have digested my words. Now tell me, what do you see? What do you see? Has your vision changed? Has the word changed your vision? Is your mind on things that are above and not on things that are below? Are the eyes of your spirit fixed on Christ Jesus? Has it changed? Has the world changed your mission? Or has the world changed your vision? What do you see? He said, I see the branch of an almond tree. He said, good. Almond tree, they say, is the first thing that fruits in Israel. It means there's an awakening. Oh, you see an awakening. 
verse 12. You have seen well. You have seen well. I am ready to ready to perform my word, not your word. And Ivy will say, I watch over my word to perform it. When you are talking, I'm not, I'm listening to your word to see if you will think like me and talk like me. I'm watching for my word, not your word. To perform my word. Joseph, two dreams. And 13 years of slavery and imprisonment. Scripture says the word of God was trying him until the word was proved in his life. I'm testing you. As you go through, nothing is written about his conversations during those times. But Joseph, I'm listening to you. Whether you are speaking according to my word. Do you still believe in the dream that I gave you? Do you believe? And do you speak according to the vision I gave you? Or have you forgotten? And now you are looking at me, poor me, I am a slave. Poor me, I am a prisoner. There are two idols in a a normal believer's, average believer's life. One idol is like, you know, wow me. Other is poor me. It's like the idols in our country. You know, you have two kind of idols in the temple. One face is covered, one face is open. Notice that, right? Face is covered. The face is covered is poor me. The face is open is wow me. It's never about God. That is not the testimony of Jesus Christ. Are you a king? Broken? Beaten? Whipped? Yes. But my kingdom is not from here. And for this purpose I came. And everybody on the side of truth hear my voice. Paul did not tremble before kings. Kings trembled before Paul. Because that was a testimony of Christ in him. Felix, Agrippa all trembled and said, take this fellow away. He's preaching too much. What did God say? You have seen well. And I'm watching my word to perform it. He's not watching over. You know, these faith preachers, some of them have twisted this. They've taken God out, the God of the word out and just taken the word and says, I will confess it until it comes. It's occult. It happens in Japan. It's a form of Buddhism where they chant for things to come to pass. It is there in Hinduism also. It's one of the mantras you keep on saying so that it comes to pass. And that is not Christianity. He watches over his word. I am a servant. He is the Lord. His will and not my will. Don't bring occult into Christianity. It works. I'm not saying it is worked. It works, but I don't know the source of the power. He's not watching over my words. He's watching over his word, whether it has become part of me. What do you see? Said, you have seen well. The more you eat this, the more you will see. The more you eat, the better your vision. Life becomes, events becomes clear. Life becomes clear. And you know what? Instead of being stooped, you start lifting your head up. You know, it's getting closer and closer, closer, closer. No, when when any of our young mothers, when they start their labor, one of the first questions we ask is, how many minutes apart? Because from that we know how close they are. 
So you see all these things and you're not get panicking because you have internalized the word and says, okay, it's falling into place. It's coming closer. It's coming. Oh, you, won't you lose your head in the process? It's fine, but he's coming, right? Verse 13, second time. And the word of the Lord came to me the second time saying, what do you see? What do you see? The problem is, otherwise you will run with the almond branch. I saw an almond branch. Wait, the sight is not clear yet. Abraham, take your son, your only son, go on a three-day journey and offer him as a sacrifice. I will tell you the mountain. Three days later, reaches, leaves the servants, goes up, ties the son and takes the knife. Abraham, Abraham, stay your hand. I bind you in the name of Jesus. I heard three days back. We serve a living God who speaks yesterday, today and tomorrow. Lot of people have run with yesterday's revelation and did not hear there is a change, there is a correction. That was a test. This is the approval. What do you see? Because almond leaf awakening, oh hallelujah, awakening, prosperity is coming into my church, awakening is coming. Second time, what do you see? I see a boiling pot. So it was not an awakening of prosperity, it is an awakening of judgment. You've seen well. You've seen correctly. You're seeing well. Because there is a set of prophets in this world, they only see an awakening of prosperity, they see no judgment at all. The entire Bible is about judgment. But they see in judgment also, they see prosperity. That's why scripture says when they say peace, 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 sudden destruction will come. So God is asking, you saw the almond, you didn't run with the branch. Do you see properly? Because you see, if you only see once almond, oh hallelujah Lord, let me think back from scripture. Ah, remember Aaron's rod? Ah, that was put over there. It blew some fruits also came. Lord, that is how my ministry is going to be. I am going to be the prosperity preacher of Israel. God says, stop, you're going to be the judgment preacher. That was what Jeremiah was. Not a preacher of prosperity, a preacher of judgment. Israel, I'm warning you, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Repent before it is too late. It is coming, it's coming, it's coming. Beaten, broken, imprisoned, thrown into the well, you name it, he went through it all because of his message. And he was true to his vision. He never changed his message. He didn't like it, but he had to preach it. He said, it's shut like fire in my bones. I cannot change my message because it's not my message. It is his message. You see a boiling pot tilting towards from the north. You've seen correctly. Your vision is correct. Verse 14. The Lord said, out of the north, what shall come? Not prosperity. Calamity is coming. Let me tell you, all of you in South India, out of the north, calamity is coming upon us. We resisted them for years and centuries. That hardcore form of Hinduatha. It's coming here from the north. The pot is tilted. This is the time the believers in the south will have to make up their mind. Which side do I choose? Am I compromised or am I on fire? 
what do you see? How do you see? In the first place, can you see? Proverbs 29, verse 18. Because our vision can get so messed up, like Jonah, so messed up. That's why finally, his, the, that's, I think, the only book in the Bible which ends up with a question, right? Unanswered question. There are 120,000 people in that city and animals who don't know their right hand from their left. And should I not be concerned about them? You're sitting and angry because that little branch dried away. Can't you see? Can't you see? 1.3 billion in India. But that even that 0.3 is not saved. Forget that 1 billion. Can't you see? Forget 0.3. 130 crores. You think there are 30 crores Christians in India? No. 5 or 6. God says, don't you see? What do you see? Proverbs 29 and verse 18 says this. Can I have KJV? I think I put I didn't put KJV there, but it's okay. But let's look at KJV. Where there is no vision. People? But he that keepeth the law. Please remember, Bible is very, very beautifully structured. Vision and the law, that is the word of God, are always connected. A lot of people have visions without the word at all. Lot of many big name preachers, if you go back and say one preacher is there very big in Africa. His personal testimony was in his mother's womb for 20 months. He, I think it was an elephant. Thank you. Another fellow who doesn't know his word at all was never born again, said he, the Lord Jesus spoke to him. Wherever there is vision, the word is also there. You cannot have a vision outside the word. Please remember. Vision and the word of God goes together. Where there is no vision, people perish. They cast restraint. Why do people live such meaningless lives? Meaningless lives. Literally meaningless. Spiritually meaningless lives. No impact in eternity. No impact in God's kingdom. Though they have been saved for donkey's years. Why? Because there is no vision. There is no purpose. No vision. And it's got nothing to do with your age. Look at another place where that term is used in First Samuel chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli and the word of the Lord was rare in those days and there was no, no vision. When the word of God is rare, there is no vision. Because the word of God and vision goes together. And the purpose of the word of God is to give you a vision. As the word of God comes in and your thinking changes, your eyes are fixed on Christ Jesus and you're thinking about things that are above, the kingdom of God becomes more and more and more and more real than this world. And you have purpose. You realize, this is my purpose. For this reason, I was created. Even before I was formed in my mother's womb, he knew me, he chose me, he set me apart, he appointed me for this purpose. And if you don't have it, a preacher went to a construction site and there were three masons, masonries working. He asked the first one, what are you doing? He says, I put a brick, I put cement. I put a brick, I put cement. I put a brick, I put cement. In the evening, I get my pay and go back home. He asked the second one, what do I do? 
He said, I put a brick and I put a cement and one day it will become a building. Third guy asked, what are you doing? He said, you know what? We are building a hospital. And one day, many, many ill people will come. Near-death people will come. Lives will be saved. And I know one day I can rest assured I was part of saving lives. Three people doing the same work, but vision was different. What do you see? How do you see yourself in the kingdom of God, in the body of Christ? What do you see? Do you know that's what everybody has been called to do? What is that? Save lives. In Acts chapter 2, verse 17. Scripture says, it shall come to pass in the last days, says the Lord. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your son, young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Supernatural. But it's all connected with the kingdom of God. Not like today's. I see you. Huh? I see you taking over IBM. Connected with the kingdom of God. Extension of God's kingdom on earth. On the road to Damascus. Sorry. Yeah, Damascus. Paul had a heavenly vision. Years later, he can still remember clearly what he saw and repeat it. Let's look at what he saw. Acts chapter 2, verses 12 to 17. 26, sorry. While thus occupied as a journey, he's telling the king to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests. Look at it carefully, okay? God has called him from his mother's womb. He has no clue. But now he's on a mission. Where does he get his authority from? Priest. Who has commissioned, appointed him? The chief priest. He's going with that on the road to Damascus. At midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And next verse. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. 6, 16. Arise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you. He says, now appointment is changing. Earlier he was commissioned by the chief priest. Now his profession is changing. He is being appointed by Jesus Christ. Stand on your feet. Arise. I am appointing you with this purpose. A minister and a witness. Both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver... Doesn't it sound the same thing what you told Jeremiah? I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom now I sin. You will go to whoever I say sin. You will say what I tell you and I will deliver you. Now I am commissioning you. And verse 18. To open their eyes. This is your purpose. This is your commission. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. From the power of Satan to the power of God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Did you see that? All these years, he has never forgotten his purpose, his call, who commissioned him. That's the way he's been working all this while. 
Therefore, there is purpose in his life. You know what he says in verse 19? King Agrippa. Yes, 19. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I had a purpose in my life. My purpose changed. Once I encountered Jesus Christ, my purpose changed. That's my question to you. After you encountered Jesus Christ, has your purpose changed? You may be doing the same thing, but not anymore for the same reasons. You could be doing exactly the same thing, but not for the same reason, because something has changed. Do you see? Did you see? And if you saw, have you been obedient to the vision? I have been all these years, 25 years. One of the first things he told me when he called me and when he ordained me, he told me, I am sending you only to believers. I am not sending you to unbelievers. I am sending you to believers to strengthen me. So from that day till today, I don't do evangelism. I only go to churches and strengthen believers. That's why he opened up all these pastors' conferences for me because he told me that's, that's your purpose. Your purpose is not to evangelize. I will tell you what your purpose is. Your purpose is to teach believers and strengthen them. And you should be able to say whatever your purpose is. Lord, you clear, clarified it to me. I heard from you and I have not been disobedient to your vision. I'm still doing what you called me to do. 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. Still doing what you call me to do. I would like to do other things. But it's not my call. It's your call. Have you been obedient to the vision? Paul says, I was obedient to the vision. Do you know the vision he saw? It was a fourfold vision. In Acts chapter 9, verse 8 and 9, Saul arose from the ground. You see, that one was... Much years later, he's recounting it. Let's look at the actual event. He arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him in by hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. He was blinded. Three days. He couldn't see, he didn't eat, he didn't drink. The first vision he had was a vision of himself. He saw himself as he had never seen himself before. Proud, arrogant, religious Pharisee. This is who I am. God, like they say in English, God literally knocked him off his high horse. He thought he was a cat's whiskers. And God knocked him out and said, this is who you really are. One of the first visions you need to see is who you are. Who you are. Who you are. Who you are. Before you met Christ. What is your identity? I keep still reminding you of this when I went to Jaipur in Rajasthan to a professor of that university's house and he was the prof and in his, in his, on his wall there was a picture of a small thatched hut with few people standing. So I said, who is that? He said, that's my dad, that's my mom, that's me. He said, I have framed it so that I should never forget where I came from. People always forget where they came from. They always forget where God picked us from. And they suddenly change, not according to the word, but according to the world and think they were born with a silver spoon in their mouth and they were the king's brother, sister's son. That was only Moses, nobody else. And he rejected that identity. 
And we want to become something which we are not. That's the first vision God gave him. This is who you really are. Do you know who you are? You're just a sinner. Just a sinner. Educated sinner. But just a sinner. Groveling in the dirt, blinded by the glory of Jesus, he saw himself in the sight and in the light of true holiness and true righteousness. This is who you are, Saul of Tarsus, just a sinner, hell bound. He never lost sight of that vision. You see, that's why it is so easy to minister to poor people and simple people. It's very difficult to preach to anybody who thinks he or she is a little righteous. They get offended. My simple question to you is, when, that's a key test. When you hear the word of God, do you get offended? You got Saul of Tarsus. You're still not Paul. You're still, some part of Saul is there. I am a sinner saved by grace. He never lost sight of that first vision, who I really am. Without Christ, this is who I am. Because if you lose sight of it, you will lose the value of the work Christ did on the cross. Then you become preachers of Christ and enemies of the cross. Look at one of his last letters, probably towards the end of his life, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, one of his last letters. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world, read together, to save of of whom? Of whom? What does he write? I? He doesn't say I was. I am. He says, you know what? If I am hanging in righteousness, it's by his hand. He takes his hand off, I'm still hell bound. I will become what I always was. It's only by grace. From the first day of your salvation till the last day of your salvation, let me tell you, saints, it's by grace and by grace alone. I am, not I was. When you have the revelation of who Christ is and who you are, you know what? You'll put away all those feathers of that peacock away and stop preening yourself. You will realize, you know, that brother, that sister, that probably I am. Then let me tell you a secret, what I tell God every day. I tell God honestly from my heart, I tell God, I personally believe, Lord, I am the worst in my church. Not the best, the worst. Not the best. I never tell him that. The worst in my church. You will lose sight of who you are and what he did to save you. If you take your eyes of the first vision, never lose sight of it. Never. You will devalue the cross in your life. You will devalue the work of the cross in your life. Because every one of us is just one step away from hell if he takes his hand off. One step away from hell. And it's his mercy and his grace alone that keeps me, that keeps you. And he says, I am the chief of sinners. Do you see? Can you see? That's not a lot that he saw. He saw the glory of Jesus. The glory of salvation by grace. 
He not only saw who he was, he also. That's what scripture says. When the Holy Spirit comes, he convicts the world of sin. If he leaves you there, you are gone. But then he points you to the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is available by faith. Freely available by faith. The glory of Jesus Christ. The glory of the righteousness that comes by faith. The salvation that is not by works. The infinite mercy of God. Infinite mercy of God. Our, in our years, when everybody left, everybody went away, it should still ring in our ears. The voice of that poor woman called Mary Magdalene who was totally possessed by seven demons whom God had delivered. Standing there alone early in the morning in the garden looking at that man who had redeemed her thinking he is the gardener. And, Sir, where is my Jesus? Where is my Jesus? We love him in life. She loved him in death. And she did not know salvation. When she did not know he is risen from the dead. She still loved him in death. And said if you show me his body. I will carry. Always ask Mary, Mary. Where do you have the strength to carry his body? And then God reminded me of the song of Solomon. Love is as strong as death. Have you seen Jesus? The glory of the redeemer. You have to have these visions. The vision of who you are, all complaint will stop. And who he is, praise will begin. Vocabulary will change. Prayer life will change. Acts 26 verse 18. Have you seen your separation? To open their eyes. Why? How do you know your eyes are open? Because you have been brought out from darkness into light. Are you separated? Or do you like the world? I keep telling that. If you look like a duck, talk like a duck, walk like a duck, and listen to duck songs and duck movies, you must be a duck. Quack, quack, quack. I had a preacher in this morning. He was so cute. Old dead man. Cute. This is the difference between the goat and the sheep. The sheep only will say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Because that's all they know. The goats have a but ministry. If God says something, they will say, but Lord. What do the sheep say? He said, when the sheep read the word, they see Jesus. And all the sheep say is, yeah, yeah. That's all they say. Yeah, Lord. Yeah, Lord. Yeah, Lord. I believe you. That's all they say. But the goats will always look at every promise and say, but Lord. Because that's what they do, butting everybody all the time. So the question is, are you a sheep or a goat? I, I, I couldn't help laughing. I thought these old time preachers, dead and gone, they had humor. And they would do all kind of pranks on stage. But they were good. Darkness to light from the power of Satan. To the power of God. Be separate. Come out. Telling your children, be separate. Come out. I like the looks of you. You're all looking godly, 
gorgeous, especially girls. Tomorrow also you should look like this. Tomorrow too. Tomorrow is the test. Today you are in the kingdom of light. Tomorrow don't go to darkness. From the power of God to the power of Satan. Don't listen to those songs tomorrow. Today, hallelujah. Tomorrow, balle, balle. Don't change your music. Don't change your dance. Don't change your dress. Don't change your eating habits. Don't change. That's when you become the testimony of Jesus Christ. That's how you. Nobody said this. Until Joseph stood before the Pharaoh. And that Pharaoh said, you know what? The spirit of God is speaking through you. Meaning, you, you are the testimony of the living God. You are the testimony of the living God. When you eat the word, has it opened to you your eyes to the nature of this world you like so much? Do you know the amount of demonic Transfer that is happening through screens. In movie theaters, televisions, all these places you like, still telling young mothers and fathers sitting over here, please don't take your children shopping to the malls. Take them to the parks. Let them see what God has created and not what man has made because every tower is going to come down. It is written, so will it be. Let them not glory in this creation of man. Let them glory in the creation of God because the whole of creation declares about God, not what man has made. We're still building Babels. And our children become Babylonians because we take them there. Has your eyes changed? Has your vision changed? Are you separated? And verse 16. I didn't give it. Verse 16. Jeremiah. Oh, no, no. Acts chapter 26 verse 16. Arise. Arise. Stand on your feet. For I appear to you for a purpose. I am not somebody who weighs my appearances. I know to whom to appear. And when I appear, I am coming with a purpose. One of the reasons God doesn't appear or the word does not speak to so many people, it's because God already knows you will not obey. He speaks to the obedient. It is he who causes us to will. He already knows who will obey. To them he speaks. It show me in the word of God except Jonah. Whom did he speak who did not obey? And Jonah too spanked the daylights out of him before and he obeyed. Stand on your feet. I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. Twofold purpose. The vision is being given. One, you shall be a minister and you shall be a witness. And second, and you shall to all those people, Gentiles and others. That's exactly what he told Jeremiah to, prophet of the nations. And don't be afraid. In Acts, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, he said, yeah, do not be afraid of their faces, for I will deliver you. In Acts chapter 26, 
And verse 11, uh, yeah. No, no, not 11. That one in verse 17. 17. I'm sorry, I wrote as 11, verse 17. He says, I will deliver you. I will deliver you. And you deliver anything. You see, the promise is the same for every servant. Until his last moment when he was executed, you have to look at what this man went through. God delivered him. Every time God delivered him. And every time he stood up for the word and for the witness. Have you seen the nature of your call? That's a question. The whole idea is, arise, stand on your feet. Yes. Have you seen the nature of your call? Have you understood the nature of your call? What is your call? I tell, yesterday also I told mothers, you can shake nations in your prayer closet. You can shake nations in your prayer closet. If you understand your call, shake nations in your prayer closet. You can. Do you know the nature of your call? Shake this nation. Lord, when things look so dark in this nation, because articles are all being changed, constitution will be changed, next session anti-conversion law will come, all these things will come. But didn't you say when darkness covers the earth, that's when your light will shine on us? I'm not despondent, Lord. I believe this is the greatest hour for my nation. This is the greatest hour for this nation. We are going to have a harvest like nobody has seen. So Lord, I know my purpose. I've been called to pray. I know my purpose. I've been called to preach. Go strengthen my servants. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Stand and see the deliverance of the Lord. That's what Moses told the children of Israel. Do you think God made a mistake by bringing you this route route and brought you over there where you have no way to escape? You have mountains on both sides. You have the sea in front of you and Pharaoh's army on behind you. You think God made a mistake? Why do you think he brought you into a place where you have no escape? So that you will see deliverance is of the Lord. Do you think after 2,000 years, God did not bring the church to a point where the church is helpless, but not hopeless. It's brought to its knees where God will say, all your tactics, all your screens, all your pamphlets, all your advertisements did not work. Now you will see in this nation, deliverance is from me. I will have men and women who will rise up and know their purpose. And they will stand as my word and my witness. And I will deliver this nation. Do you think when you reach in heaven, there are no Indians over there? When we are almost one-fifth of the world population, God says, my kingdom stands. The purpose of my kingdom stands. I will deliver you. Find your purpose professionally. Wherever you are, do that. Fine. Spiritually, don't forget your purpose. I am a witness. I am a testimony of Jesus Christ. And I carry that anointing with me. When I go into my office, doesn't matter, it's Google or IBM or wherever, when I step in, that's what I do. When I get off the aircraft, I put my foot in. This belongs to my king. There may be a king in this land, but this land belongs to my king. I believe. I believe. I believe, Lord. This is your land. You will have a remnant from this nation too. Believe. Believe. Spiritual realm is different. Spiritual realm is different. That's why when the sons of Skiva tried to do it, it didn't work. They said, 
Paul, we know. <laughs> Papa, we know him. Papa. Last week also, a couple of demons told me, Tu kona re? I said, Yeshu ka sevak hai re? Tu kona re? You think they don't talk? They talk. I have to hear their conversations. Don't get intimidated. Don't get intimidated. You don't get intimidated by them. Okay? And the final one, the vision. Acts 26 and verse 19. Scripture says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to this heavenly vision. I know who I am without Christ. I know it very well who I am without Christ. And I know very well I am who I am in Christ. You need to have to know both. Who I am without Christ? So I will put trust in no flesh. That's what you will say. I will boast in the cross. Through the cross, the world is dead to me and I am dead to the world. I know who I am without Christ. And I know who I am in Christ. I am a witness. He had said, you shall receive power and you shall be my witness. I can see an almond, an awakening. And I can see the boiling pot tilted too. I can see both. Lord, I can see both. I can see there is an awakening and I can see there is judgment. I see both. I see both, Lord. Every day you should see both. The awakening and the judgment. The Bible proves it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 to 16, scripture says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Every place. Diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge every place. You don't need... Use it for because your brotherly love, sisterly love, use it. Love your neighbor. But I'm not talking about that. This is the knowledge of Christ. Diffusing the knowledge of Christ in every place. Not just church. Every place. How? For we are to God the fragrance of Christ. Wow. Did you ever think about it? If God's Holy Spirit is to be walking here, He's not looking for you. He's looking. Is there Christ? Is there Christ? Oh, Christ is strong here. I don't see, smell Christ. Where is Christ? To God, the fragrance of Christ. Did you ever think about that? Do you know you can smell in the demonic? In the spiritual realm, you can smell demonic? His knowledge, for we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are are perishing. How? To one we are the aroma of death. To the others we are the aroma of life leading to life. He says, who is sufficient to these things? Paul says, you know what? When I walk into a crowd, I see both. I see death and I see life. I see awakening the almond branch. I see the north, the pot, boiling pot tilted. I see life. I see judgment. To one, it's life. To other, it is death. And you should be able to see it when you walk into your offices. Able to see it. And they should hate you or love you 
There's no neutrality in the kingdom. God says, you are either gathering with me or you are scattering. Why am I liked by everybody in an office? You have no testimony. Try witnessing. Try witnessing. I'm not saying you should be obnoxious. Try witnessing. Then you will see some trishuls coming out. That's what he says, I am both. Are you mad when you see me? That means you are dead. Are you glad when you see me? That means you are alive. He says, everywhere I go, I am a witness. The aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. Lamb of God and Lion of Judah. Don't change it. Both. Lamb of God and Lion of Judah. Receive him now or be judged by him later. It's your choice. Suffering Savior. All conquering King. As I close, let's look at that one verse once again. Proverbs 29 and verse 18. In KJV. Where there is no vision. People, when you don't catch hold of God's vision, you perish and the people around you perish. The students around you perish. The colleagues around you perish. And they perish without hearing. You know why people perish? Because people haven't caught the vision of God. God just needed a handful of apostles and within a few years they were talked about as the people who turned the world upside down. Actually they turned the world right side up. But the world said upside down. Just a few people. Just a few people. Because they caught the vision. Where there is no vision, people perish. But to catch the vision, eat this. Eat this. Eat this. Like I said, for me, every word is true. The ones I understand, the ones I don't understand. There is no more questioning anything here. I'm not a cessationist. All things are possible with God. For me, all things are possible with God. I believe. I believe. Nothing has ceased for me here. I believe. Nothing has ceased. Doesn't have to happen to me. Nothing has happened. You have to eat this. You have to digest this. This has to be your framework of how you think. Then you will realize, I see differently each day. I don't see haughty, proud colleagues. I see broken, perishing souls around me. As I close, let me tell you my testimony. Not my testimony, one short testimony. I hate sharing testimonies. Because the word, faith should be built on the word and not on testimonies. Okay, this was years ago when I worked in that other country in the secular realm. In the daytime, I was a professional. In the night, I was a minister. Day and night. Okay. College, staff room, 
all these lecturers. I was the last one to join because I was not willing to go. And the last one to join. So I am the, I am the last to enter. I don't know what God did within a few days, a week or two. Everybody knew to shut their mouth when I walk in. Because you know what people talk. So I walk in, there is silence. When I walk out, they start again. Or suddenly conversation changes from the obscene to very spiritual things. And uh, I was very clear. I've come here for a purpose. I have very little time. As soon as I finish, I'm going. And I have to some way or other witness to students as possible. So I go into the staff room. You go to the vice principal. The first thing you ask is, sir, uh, who all are on leave today? Because if somebody is on leave, then uh, you can take their class. Nobody wants to take extra class, but I want to take extra class so I can go to classrooms where I am not supposed to teach. So that way, in that one and a half years, I went to every classroom in the college. Every section. Science, arts, commerce, every section. Every section. Why? Simply so that I could be a witness. Because literature is a good subject through which you can give the gospel veiled. Then every month, every day, one teacher or lecturer is on duty. Meaning the whole college will be there. He is in charge like a semi-principal. Watch them. But the terrifying thing for all the lecturers is you have to address the assembly for 10 to 15 minutes. And everybody panics. And I looked forward to that day. Lord, now you're giving me 600, 800 kids. And I prepared core scripture, but I have to put it in a way that you don't mention gospel. Because it's a different country where it is banned and you have signed a contract, you won't proselytize. Okay? So, first time, second month, second month I could hear it, no? Uh, usually, uh, then principal will say, now the teacher on duty will come and address and when I could hear the whisper going, Sir James, Sir James, Sir James, Sir James, Sir James, Sir James, pin drop silence. They would listen. And every opportunity I took, I would give the gospel veiled. Then finally, my last, when I already resigned and I'm leaving the last, I spoke to them and I said, I spoke to them, I got my class, put a box over there, and I tell, we will make a donation. I will put in the first thousand rupees. You all put in. You know what? The college has given you so much, but my God says it's more blessed to give than to receive. So we will do something different. We will give the college something. So on that last day as teacher in duty, the class leader came and the whole class college is looking and he spoke in their language. Our sir has taught it is more blessed to give than to receive and gave the gift to the principal and everybody clapped, everybody was stunned. Then on the last day, I spoke to them and I said, this is it, I am leaving and I'll be gone. But I said, thousands of years ago, my God said to his priest, when you bless your people, this is how you need to bless. And I said, I want to bless you before I go. And I read from the book of Numbers. And I said, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious upon you. And the Lord turn his face towards you. And that was my final words to the college. I blessed them and I left. Because if you're willing, God will make a way. Will make a way. Make a way. And all those months, 
I never gave one hour of my time to the Indian teachers. All are Indians. I said, I'm not coming. I did not come here for you. I came for them. And I left. One year later, I went back. This time to meet my churches. This time I went to meet the churches and I went to the college. And all of them came, the students, the lecturers. Sir, 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 what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm not free. They said, now we know what you came here for. I said, oh, you know. I said, sir, the Indian teachers all said, sir, can you do one thing? Tomorrow can you take a meeting for us? I said, I am not free. I have a service at 8, I have a service at 10, I have a service at 12, I have a service at 5, I have a service at 8. I have six services tomorrow. I have no time. They said, if you will come, we will wait for you at 6 in the morning. These are guys who never wake up on a holiday. And not a single Christian. All Hindus and Muslims. And I had a one day, one hour meeting at 6 o'clock in the morning, sitting with them and explaining it to them from the Quran and from the Vedas, Christ is the only one. He opened a door for me with the staff after I left. Do you believe? Do you know your purpose? Do you know your purpose? You may be professionally doing anything, but you never forget your spiritual profession. I am a prophet to the nations, a witness and a testimony. This is the reason I was born. This is the reason I was chosen. This is the reason I have been set apart. We can't keep our mouth shut. We just have to be willing and say, Lord, here I am. Like I say, Lord, here I am. I don't know how to open these doors. I don't know how to open these doors. But I believe you open, I am willing to go through. That's all I'm telling you, children and young ones working in offices. Say, Lord, I take authority. The testimony of Christ is there in me, on me. And I am take authority. Powers of darkness. I will pull down and uproot. And you will build. And you will plant. I am a witness. I am a witness. That's the power. Recent power was given. You shall receive power. And you shall be my witness. Amen. Shall we stand? Father, this morning we just come to you. We come to you, Father. As Saul of Tarsus saw, help us to see the same way, Lord. This is who, not we were, we are without you. Chief of sinners. Help us to see and say like him, nothing, absolutely nothing dwells in our flesh, in that old man. Absolutely nothing. All that flesh is good for is to be killed and thrown into the dark garbage bin. Nothing good. If there is anything good in any one of us, it is you, Lord. Therefore, no man has anything to boast. Our pedigree means nothing. Our resumes mean nothing. Our work accomplishment means nothing. Everything will be burned away on that day in fire. Nothing will be left. All that will be left is the testimony of Christ. Help us to see that, Lord. And not struggle after these vanities. And just be a twofold witness. Professionally and spiritually. Wherever you have placed us. To know 
to have that comfort, the courage, the consolation. That even before we are formed in our mother's womb, and many here who their own mothers rejected them, many orphans here, rejected by their mothers and fathers, but you knew them. You knew them. You chose them. You separated them. You appointed them to be a witness and to be a testimony. And my prayer this morning is, Lord, anoint each one, Lord. I command that spirit of fear and timidity to leave in Jesus' name. Let the spirit of power and wisdom and a sound mind come. Let no one be afraid to witness about Christ. Let no one be ashamed to witness about Christ. Because you said, if you are ashamed, I will be ashamed. You are not ashamed to witness about us, filthy sinners before your father. How can we be ashamed to witness about our glorious Lord to sinners? Let that fear go, Lord. And false pride go, Lord. And anoint us with power, O oh Lord. With power, with authority. And with discernment. What to say, when to say. And to be a witness, a testimony. In our classrooms, in our workplaces. So that, O oh Lord, we are pulling down and uprooting powers and principalities and rulers. And wicked powers of darkness. And even if we do not like our workplaces, we will know we have been sent like Paul and Silas into those dark places to set the other captives free. That when we praise and when we cheerfully give, their chains will come off. Help us to have a heavenly vision and be obedient to that vision till the end, O Lord. Everyone, Father, here, young and old, Create in us a desire, a hunger for the hearing of the word, Lord. Let us not be caught in the famine prophesied by Amos. That there is a famine of the hearing of the word. No, Lord. A hunger for your word. A hunger for your righteousness. Where else can it come? But by faith. And faith by hearing. Create it, Lord, in us. That hunger, hunger for you. Not just a intellectual appreciation of your word, but contending with you, finding you, acknowledging you, allowing you to frame in our minds and our inner man. You, you, Lord, the Lord of the word and the word of the Lord. Create it in us as Lord. I pray, Father, we'll be a set of people who are fearless. Fearless. Fearless, Lord. Because we fear God. And therefore, we do not fear the wrath of the king. If Pua and Shepra can have a testimony that they do not fear the wrath of the prayer of Egypt because they feared God. And Moses did not fear the wrath of the Pharaoh because he feared God. We too can have a testimony. Help us have to have a true testimony. The testimony of Christ in us. Have a vision. That is your vision. And be obedient to that vision, Lord. Let us be called as your first believers were called. The people 
of the way. Because there is only one way that we have chosen. The narrow way. The straight gate and that narrow way. And let us be known as the people of that way. And not people straddling that broad way. Let our testimony change, Lord. Today, not tomorrow. Today. Let it start today, Lord. Empower us. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Bless us. Keep us. Protect us. Preserve us. Never, ever let us forget the cross and your work on the cross. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. By faith, believing the word of God and the spirit of God has sanctified us. We lift up holy hands and we bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. We bless your holy name. And we proclaim with our own tongues. Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen.